As you're finding your place, want to send or say hello from Grace Bible, and specifically from Joe and Laura. <laughs> so uh, it's been a joy to see uh, Joe take part in the internship, and I think come June, um, they're on their way to Louisville, Kentucky, to seminary. So uh, they came in the front door and are running out the back on their way to Kentucky. So, but they deeply love you and miss you. So. Thank you for your investment in them. Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse number 40 and read down to the end of the chapter. Let's read. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. There came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. He had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And all denied it. Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this answer, said, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, and But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we're thankful, Lord, that as a local church, we can open it, and we can trust that the things you teach us from it are true, that we're not here just telling stories, we're not here just hearing people's opinions, that we are hearing the very truth from our creator that he wants us to hear, things recorded in human history that are true. We pray, O God, that you would strengthen our faith in what is true, strengthen our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful followers of him together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, what in your individual life is making you feel quite desperate right now? What's keeping you up at night? What has you searching the internet, wringing your hands, looking desperately for help? In Luke chapter 8, Luke records for us a series of saves. 
These saves demonstrate just who Jesus is. This is a question that arises earlier in the chapter. In verse 24, the disciples are in a boat with Jesus. He stills the waves and the wind. And they say, who is this then? Who is he? He is the one with divine saving power over nature, over demons, over disease, and over death itself. These last two miracles in Luke chapter 8 are real-life examples that it's true. Just as Jesus told the discouraged John, Baptist, John the Baptist, the sick are healed, the dead are raised. Luke compiles this material on the words and works of Jesus to strengthen Christians' faith in him. If you're a Christian here this morning, Luke wants these stories to strengthen your faith, to compel those who are not Christians to believe in Jesus and be saved. That's what he says at the outset of this gospel, chapter 1, verse 4, writing these things to Theophilus, why? That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Let's be honest. Sometimes we sit in church, we hear sermons, and we're like, really? Did that really happen? Is this true? We face storms in our own life and say, can we really trust Jesus? Is he really the Son of God? Luke says, let me just lay out for you the compelling and true account of who Jesus is. Hear what he said, see what he did. Luke continues then to record people's reaction to Jesus. The people on the eastern side of the shore, the Lake Sea of Galilee, wanted Jesus to leave. So earlier in this chapter, in the account just before the one we're looking at this morning, Jesus went to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and you remember the story of this maniac, this demon-possessed man that was out of control. And Jesus heals this man, and in kind of in response of what takes place, these demons flee at Christ's permission into a, a herd of pigs, and they rush down the hill, and they drown themselves in the sea, and the people said, can you please leave? Well, returning to the western side, the Jewish side of the lake, the crowds are welcoming him. They're looking expectantly, please come. And you'll see these responses in the Gospel of Luke, please get lost, please come. Just because someone's saying we welcome Jesus, though, might not mean they're looking for the right thing in Jesus. The question that Jesus asked his disciple hangs over this chapter. In verse 25, he said, where is your faith? These two miracles show how faith is the means by which a needy sinner experiences God's saving grace in Christ. Here Luke draws our attention specifically to two inter individuals, and we're going to look at two intertwined stories. I'm going to look at this in two parts. First of all, two desperate people that's our first point. That's what we're going to think about. Two desperate people. Their situation is not only dire, it's dirty. These are two untouchable people. Two people that no one wanted to be near and everyone was afraid to touch. Secondly, we're going to look at one definite need. Two desperate people, one definite need to believe in Jesus so you will be saved. Saved in this life, 
enjoying renewed relationship with God through him and saved eternally. So if you're a Christian here, I pray that the Lord will strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. In God's kindness, I think I've been saved for like 40 years. I know you're thinking, were you saved when you were born? No, I'm a little older than that. But I've been saved like for 44 decades. It's a long time. And for four decades, the devil, the world, my own flesh is taking pot shots at my faith. Should you keep following Jesus? Are these things really true? So if you're a Christian here this morning, I pray that the Lord will strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, I pray that the Lord will give you grace to believe in Jesus Christ. Two desperate people, two very different stories, both in desperate need. The first is a leading man in town. As the crowds welcome Jesus ashore, there came a man, we read in verse 41, named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. If you know about the setting there in the days of Jesus, the synagogue played a central role in both the social and religious life of the nation of Israel. This man served as one of its elders. He, he was in charge of ordering and organizing the worship service, who would teach, how this would go. You can imagine the crowd began to give way to Jairus as he pushed forward toward Jesus. Of course, it was no secret that the Jewish leaders were hostile to Jesus' ministry. So it must have been shocking to see Jairus fall down at Jesus' feet and implore him to come to his house. But Jairus was desperate. His only daughter, about 12 years of age, She was dying. The reality that a 12-year-old girl, 12-year-old child, was on the doorstep to eternity should give us pause. Friends, I'm not sure that it serves our children well by sheltering them from the reality of death and the importance of being prepared to leave this world. I'm thankful for churches like yours and for the parents that make up this church that are serious about teaching their children about who God is, that we have sinned against him, that he sent his son to provide a way that we might be right with him now and for all eternity. Well, rather than just sending a messenger, like earlier when the centurion needed help from Jesus, he sent a messenger. No, Jairus, this man comes in purpose, uh, in person, regardless of his status. And he throws himself down at Jesus' feet. He's aware that Jesus has healed others. And Jairus begged him to come and deliver his daughter from the jaws of death. I love what happens next. Jesus willingly went with him. Jesus can help. And Jesus will help this distraught father. Like an ambulance um, in heavy traffic. The suffocating crowd presses around him until it comes to a screeching halt. Look at verse 43. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Hey, yeah, 
And here's another desperate person in need. Unlike Jairus, she remains nameless. She holds no prominent position, but she too is in real trouble. For as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive, this woman suffered blood loss. Very likely, it was a uterine hemorrhage. Luke doesn't say for sure. Her situation was debilitating, if not life-threatening. According to Mosaic law, those with bodily discharges such as these were regarded as ceremonial unclean. That means in her present condition, she was forbidden to enter the temple. She was forbidden to attend public worship. Leviticus 15 puts it this way. All her days, all the days of her discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. Friends, God established these laws within Israel to teach them the fallen human condition. That people enter into this world, that you and I entered into this world, corrupted by sin, and that sin ultimately separates us from God and his people. It's not surprising that she tried everything she could to be cured. Historians explain some of the remedies that would be applied to this condition. Patients were given a glass of wine mixed with rubber, alum, garden, crocuses, or a glass of wine mixed with onions. Exactly. Clearly none of this helped. Luke was a doctor himself. And he doesn't discredit the medical help, but he doesn't hide its limitations either. Look at verse 49. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by who? By anyone. That's the reality. This woman's condition had drained her of strength. If you've ever been anemic, you understand. It drained her of her relationships. It drained her of all her money. Two people from opposite ends of society, one a prominent leader named Jairus, one unnamed, ignored, both of them desperate. Both of them faced a problem that they or anyone among them could solve by themselves. Friends, do they not bring us face to face with our own situation in this fallen world? Centuries later, here we sit. We have experienced incredible medical advances. And still, still humanity has failed to end the suffering. Like Jairus and the woman, we face physical and spiritual problems that human beings can't solve. Debilitating conditions, chronic diseases, broken relationships, habitual sins. These things, they drain the life right out of us until we look death itself in the face and it brings us to our knees. So what are you facing? Bring your need to him in prayer. Jesus is alive and well. He is at the right hand of the Father ever making intercession for us. Believe and practice as you do as a church in corporate prayer. Don't let your fatigue and your tiredness keep you from coming together 
your brothers and sisters as a church to pray. You guys have just spent a long time studying through the book of Acts, and you have watched the church gather to pray. It's so important to the life of the church and to the mission that we have been called to do on this earth that we trust our Lord and we humble ourselves and come to him like this woman and like this man. I hope, Christian, you will realize it is in such moments that a Christian, that you, can be a welcomed help sitting down by a desperate neighbor, a distraught coworker, or a friend and pray with them. Point them in their trouble to the one who has the power to do something about this. And just stop and think for a minute. Is there someone this week that you can come alongside? Two desperate people. One definite need. Jesus addresses the woman first. She appears to have done her best to escape notice. Careful not to come in direct contact with Jesus. She made her way through the crowd until look at verse 41. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And Luke tells us, immediately her discharge of blood ceased. There's no medical uh, explanation for this. Her healing was a miracle. God acting beyond natural laws to perform his purpose. When she touched the hinge of his garment, or the fringe of his garment, she was healed immediately, completely, freely. Over 12 years with the care of many doctors at the cost of all her money, but finally one touch, and she felt the healing power of God restore the damaged tissues of her body. And clearly Jesus felt it too. Imagine the, the looks he got when <laughs> he asked, all right, who touched me? Peter thinks this is a ridiculous question. Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus wasn't asking about the ordinary push or shove of the crowd. Divine life-giving power power that Jesus has in relation to the Father and the Holy Spirit had passed out of him to heal another. So in chapter 5, verse 7, we read about the power of the Lord God was with him to heal. In chapter 6, verse 19, for all the crowd sought him to touch him and power came out from him and he healed them all. Understand that Jesus wasn't asking this question for his own benefit. We'll soon see he was asking for the sake of the woman, the crowd, and Jairus as well. But imagine her panic when Jesus stopped to look for her. Her situation meant she was not to come into contact with others. No doubt she had greatly feared the likes of Jairus, religious leaders who would be angry if they knew that she made her way into this crowd. Verse 47. And yet when she knew she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now we begin to see why Jesus hit the pause button. Number one, 
to give glory to God for his saving work. We can only imagine how this delay was torturing Jairus. If you've ever sat in an ER with a sick child and you watch that clock, I mean, very, oh, extremely slow. You want to rip it off the wall. Go smashing through the door. Somebody help my child. You feel something of his desperation. And yet Jesus hits the pause button to give glory to God for the saving work. God in his providential, or has a providential purpose in this delay. It gives Jairus personal witness to the saving power of God right in front of his eyes. He sees this one that all his religious leader buddies were were poo-pooing, opposing. Here's a woman that was not only diseased but unclean. And rather than rendering Jesus' help useless and unclean to him, can you imagine going to the ER with your child and the syringe that has that life-giving antidote or, or antibody or antibiotic for your child falls on the floor and gets contaminated, and you're like, well, pff, that's it. Who's going to help my kid now? This is what was happening here. He just has been touched by an unclean woman. Who's going to help me now? But what happens? Jesus' help isn't useless to him. Her healing magnifies the divine power. Christian, you need not fret when in God's providence there's a delay. There's some purpose. Something is to be gained. Your faith is to be strengthened, not destroyed. That's the temptation. I talked with another brother this week, and he said, God feels so far away from me. And in those times, we have to encourage one another. Here's a second reason that Jesus hit the pause button, to identify her true need. Listen to the last thing that Jesus says to this woman in verse 48. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's the only time in the New Testament that Jesus calls someone by this title, daughter. He identifies her a family name. Earlier in this chapter, in verse 21, he talked about who his mother is and who his brothers and sisters are. But here was a woman that he calls daughter. Um, She's no longer nameless to the crowd. This highlights the, the wonderful doctrine of adoption, that through faith in Jesus, God brings us into his family. He brings the unclean into holy communion. You guys practice the Lord's Supper together? We're sitting here realizing we were all unclean, and we've been brought into holy communion with our holy creator. How great, how amazing is our God. And Jesus tells her that your faith has made you well. After the cross, this word well, sozo, takes on a larger meaning than mere physical healing. When she reached out in faith, believing By touching Jesus' garment, she would be healed. Her faith put her in contact with the one, that one person, that one work that brings full salvation. She arrived, a woman cut off from worship of God, filled with fear, separated from others, 
She departs at peace with God, at peace with her community, at peace with herself. She was healed as well as saved. Jesus sent her away with a blessing of peace. And this, this is what Jesus has the power to bring about. Friends, Jesus will not have us look to him as some sort of shock therapy. In a moment of desperation, just turn to Jesus and somehow the power and ability to overcome whatever our habit is or whatever our problem is, um, it will go away. Jesus has the power to solve any problem you or I have. There's no doubt about that. But his aim is not merely to, to treat the symptoms. It's to restore a life-giving relationship with him. Those who trust in him find themselves sons and daughters of God. No longer nameless, no longer left to themselves, afraid to approach God. Regardless of who we are or aren't, regardless of what we've done or haven't done, by faith in Jesus, who came to earth, lived and died in obedience to the Father, all to provide an atonement for our sins, by it makes us a part of the household of God. One wonders how Jairus could stand still. Surely not a second passed that he was not thinking about his daughter dying in a dire situation. And yet Jesus' interaction, it must have bolstered his own faith. And then the shock came. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Too late. Jesus took too long. The report here suggests that there's just no other reason to just hang out here with Jesus. His help um, was of no use to us now. And yet Jesus quickly interrupts. He speaks to fan the fading embers back into flame. Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. When Jairus approached Jesus, he came with a wishful, last-minute hope that he could heal his daughter. In God's providential delay, Jairus' fledging faith was bolstered by Jesus' dealing with this unclean, unwell woman. Why? Because now Jesus was not only challenging Jairus to believe that he had the power to heal his daughter, but to raise her from the dead. Faith is the reverse of fear. In times like this, we have a choice to make. We can be afraid of all the things that can go wrong, or we can trust Jesus to accomplish his purpose. Friends, I can be paralyzed in fear over my children's physical and spiritual well-being, or I can entrust them to our God's fatherly care. I can grow anxious about losing everything we need as a church or as a family to survive in this world, or I can trust God to provide what he knows we need. 
I can be afraid of what opposition I might face for standing on God's truth in a hostile world, or I can entrust myself to him who judges righteously and reigns sovereignly. And you too. Do you see? Two desperate people, one definite need. Jesus was calling Jairus to trust him. And he's calling you and me to do the same. To hold on to your faith and me. That's what Jesus is saying. Friends, I hope you understand, though, that Jesus is not calling us to a blind faith. It's a resting in what God has said, what Jesus has historically accomplished when he walked on this earth. We trust Jesus to save us from our sins because he perfectly obeyed God's law and then died, not for his sins, but for all who put their trust in him. We trust Jesus to save us from death because he rose again on the third day and ascended to heaven to die no more when he and Jairus arrived at the house. He entered with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Jairus and his wife, Five who could be eyewitnesses of what Jesus would do. The mourners gathered to grieve the loss of this precious life, and they were evidence that this girl had, in fact, died. And yet Jesus tells them, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeps. Their weeping turned to laughter, but of the scorning kind. Well, Jesus wasn't denying that the girl was, in fact, dead. He was implying God's power, resting in his very person, has the ability to deal with death. Jesus knew she would rise to live another day, and so he said, she's just asleep. Her death was not permanent. In a move of great compassion and power, taking her by the hand, underline that, he called child arise. Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out to touch a dead body. Again, touching a dead corpse, forbidden by the law of Moses, by his command, though. Her spirit returns to her body, and the girl's life was immediately restored. Church, all this furthers Luke's point, of his point of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Jesus made contact with the pollution of sickness, her touch, and the pollution of death, his touch. But he's not rendered unclean. He's not cut off from God. The gospel tells us that Jesus came into our world. He got his hands dirty with our sins and corruption so he could save us from it. The resurrection of Jairus' daughter was but an example of what Jesus would accomplish for every believer. Death is not the end. Not for us. Because Jesus died the death we deserve. And in his death, he took our guilt. He suffered the just wrath of God so that we might be made right before him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And our crucified Lord will return, Paul said to the Thessalonians, and the dead in Christ will be raised. Verse 56, her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. We kind of scratch our, our head at this. 
Certainly, if the mourners were released to go home, the girl was later seen walking in the streets, everyone would know what would happen. But Jesus is headed for a different kind of ministry than what people wanted from him. The cross would be the center of Jesus' ministry. Not temporary healing the sick, eternally saving the soul, and ultimately saving the body. Focus too much on such healings and you miss the kind of commitment Jesus calls his followers to. And that's why we continue on this road in the Gospel of Luke, finding out what does it mean to follow Jesus. And he will say, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. And there you have it. Last August, I was in a situation like Jairus. Um, my 28-year-old daughter, who was battling with cancer, went through a tough time of radiation and then surgery and was very sick, spent one night with her in the ER, one hospital in Providence, and then brought her home, and man, she was so sick. And I remember calling, spoke to the surgeon, it was a Saturday night, saying, what should we do? And he's like, bring her to Boston. And like 9 or 10 o'clock at night, jump in a car. My car was broken down. My wife's car was broken down. We jump in Kelsey's car to, to rush her up there, and that wasn't running well. I'm holding her hand as she's groaning in the back seat. I'm driving with my other hand and thinking, oh, God, I don't know if she's going to make it. We get to Brigham and Women's, go in there, and we wait in the waiting room, feeling absolutely desperate. And in that ride up there, I really didn't know. I thought, this may be it. God, what, what's comforting me right now is that she knows, she knows Jesus Christ. Her faith is in him alone. And that if she doesn't make it through this night, her soul is with Christ. Brothers and sisters, we live in a fallen world, and our lives are fleeting in this world. The gospel is what saves us now and forever. Amen. So keep pointing your family and your friends in this community to Jesus. If you're Christian, keep trusting in Jesus. It's not something we do one day and just write about it. Hey, I got saved, I prayed. No, we keep trusting in Jesus every day. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your mercy to us. We pray that you will increase our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.